0: Camp Camp Radio. Radio. Camp Radio. Radio. Camp
1: Welcome Radio. to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Camp Radio, discussing trends and issues that will encourage ministries and churches in their efforts to impact people for Christ.
0: To learn more about TN Baptist Camps, visit us at tnbaptistcamps.org. Now, today's Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Perryton. I'll be your host. Today we have with us Chris Edmonds, and he is the pastor at Piney Grove Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee. Chris is also the author of the book, No Surrender. He is also the founder of Rodney's Code. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you, Kevin. It's good to be with you and and, uh, just glad to be a part of of your broadcast.
0: Oh, no problem. Well, let's begin and just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, uh, I'm a pastor a husband, a father. I love Jesus. And I just want to say right up front, all that's been accomplished regarding my my father's story, the Lord has done. And uh, I love my high school sweetheart. I I married her, Regina, uh, back in 1977. Met her in the seventh grade, and uh, she was in the fifth grade. So we we pretty much know each other (laughs) pretty well. Have three daughters, three sons-in-laws that I I dearly love. I got 10 grandkids. Wow. They're the coolest on the planet. Yeah. I guess uh, all grandparents would say that. Um, and uh, pastor at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Mirabel, been there for nine years. Uh, I just recently semi-retired. I, mm-hmm. st- I stepped away from from the pulpit, and uh, but still attending there. Love the people. Um, they're wonderful, wonderful folks. I love the church. Uh, I love uh, ministry that the church does throughout the world. Uh, I love Israel. I love Jesus. Uh, I love the Jewish people, and uh, I love people of all kinds, uh, all faiths, all backgrounds. Um, I think the the Lord has given me that love, and and I especially love students, and even
0: even middle school students, yeah. which is kind of crazy. But um, I used to be, used to be a part of uh, uh, Yoke Ministry for a long time, weren't you?
1: Yes, I, I actually started uh, as a volunteer in Yoke in 1978. I was mm-hmm. in the second club that they opened, uh, mm-hmm. a, a campus club. And uh, Yoke is a middle school ministry that mentors uh, middle school kids, um, really uh, using college students uh, to to help shepherd them and guide them. Yeah. We're, uh Yoke is on uh, nearly thirty campuses throughout East Tennessee, and so um, it, it's a big ministry. I was actually executive director there for about n- uh, nine years yeah. uh, as well, and so uh, been to to lots of camps uh, and and done lots of camps, and, and there's to me, there's no better uh, way for God to show up than at at camp. And so here at uh, Carson Springs, you know, God's on the job here. Right. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember yoke ministry when I was uh, involved in a camp at Camp Bayoka. Yeah. And uh, I remember they uh, used to come, I guess you may be, a, I don't know if you were there at the time. Yeah. Uh, that's been a long time ago, but uh, uh, actually almost 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and and I just remember, it seemed like it rained every time you yep. all came, and, and you but you all did did some sort of mud. It was a mud slide. Slide, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they your mudslide <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so it always looked like a lot of fun so uh, oh, yeah. but, but that's neat so you have you have uh, uh, sound like a great I have three girls myself or yeah. two girls I have three well I have a I have a house full of girls my wife yes. and my daughters and I have a dog that, and they're all female so oh I had to get me a male dog <laughs> <laughs> uh, well tell me about your passion for ministry and you, you kind of talked about that about uh, obviously in your past to be involved in yoke ministry and with kids. Yeah. But has that kind of changed over the last few years?
1: Yeah. um, uh, The Lord originally called me to the ministry Mm -hmm. and and pastoral ministry, which was kind of unusual. A lot of of my family and friends thought I I might go into music ministry. I did for a little bit uh, because I have a musical background, but I love serving families and communities. Uh, I love preaching and teaching the Word of God. We're We're a small community church there. I say a country church, mm-hmm. uh, but with a global vision and global ministry. And to me, no church is small uh, because of the, the impact that they can have throughout the world. And we're, we're full of mission-minded, servant-hearted people. Of course, we partner with the Southern Baptist Convention mm-hmm. uh, in missions all across the world, mm-hmm. uh, the Tennessee uh, Baptist Mission Board as well. Uh, one of the reasons I'm here this this week is because of a, a conference I attended with, with the Tennessee Baptists. and. And then the the Jihaui Baptist Association and the ministries that they have uh, to the needy, uh, we partner with with them and then Yoke and then CARM and just our local schools. So we're doing a lot of variety of things, Camp Tipton and Camp Bayoke as well. We're still partnering with them. So it's a broad-based ministry that is really hands-on. Our our people do things in the community for neighbors and and friends and and family members that sometimes I don't hear about until weeks after they've done it. Right. and I'm grateful for that. Our our deacons, um, are who are leaders in our church, they're they're truly our servants, mm-hmm. and and we're blessed uh, to have uh, their servant hearted ministry. So you know they kind of put up with me. <laughs> uh, people have asked me, said, "Well, did you have to? Did you have to step down?" No, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I really didn't want to, and the people didn't want me to, but right. God said it's time. And I had uh, an individual yesterday ask me, said, so how did you know? I said, well, it was the same sense of calling to the ministry that I, you know, I had even the calling to, to go to Piney Grove. Uh, it was definite. It was mm-hmm. specific. And um, I struggled with it. And I, I said no to God for several months. And I said, no, you're not right. This is not what you want me to do. And I still don't know exactly, you know, what the future holds. But I do know that uh, I want to share the Lord's message through the platform of my father's story. And so the ministry for me has has gone from more hands-on and, and community-oriented to where God has just opened up the world right. uh, through the through the story of my father. And I I've I have spoken anywhere to congressional leaders, to presidents, to uh, prime ministers, down to uh, fifth graders wow. in in schools. And all of them have been incredible privileges. But I, you know, again, my even though it's pretty cool to speak to a prime minister or yeah. or to a european union leaders right. or you know what's really cool is to be in that classroom mm-hmm. or or in that assembly hall and connecting with students who get it and, and piney grove has been on that journey with me and so it's been a real uh, blessing they they gave me freedom to travel and go speak and be out of the pulpit for those occasions and i've spoken to a lot of jewish congregations hmm. uh you know i'm here I am, a Southern Baptist preacher, right. speaking at their synagogue <laughs> right. or, or, or at their shul, or, and they're very curious and in, interested in my dad's faith and right. obviously my faith, yeah. you know, the Christian faith, because what he did really shocks them almost to the point of unbelief that, that he stood up for his Jewish brothers in the most dangerous situation. Yeah. Well, I know that
0: uh, we've had a couple of members from your church volunteer here, and they're very proud of you. So they, I have a book. They brought it to me. It's, oh, good. I've, I've had it for uh, when did they bring it? It's, it was uh, it was this past year's when they they brought it to me. So they they have been bragging about you. Well, very I, proud of you. <laughs> well, I, I probably need to take them out to eat. That's that's pretty cool. So well, let's t- let's talk more about your book, and really, I want to know about your dad. Just tell okay. me about your dad.
1: Well, my, my dad was a young man who came to the Lord. Uh, he grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, South Knoxville to be exact. And he came to know the Lord uh, in his, uh, I guess, his late middle school years and surrendered to Christ at Vestal United Methodist Church. And that's where he was uh, baptized. Went to old Knoxville High School, as people call it in Knoxville. and uh, But he was, he was just a good, decent, ordinary mm-hmm. guy. I mean, there was nothing special about him other than he, he had a great personality um he he's the light in the room uh he he lights up the room and warms your heart and when he leaves you wish he were back he's that yeah. kind of encourager and but he's also a man of faith deep abiding faith and really uh, as a result of me discovering what what he did in world war ii it's it's a fearless faith mm. you know it's a courageous faith and you know i never saw dad fearful about anything over the years uh as i've thought back about it and so he he and my mom both strong believers, followers of Jesus, and so we, we had a great foundation growing up. But uh, Dad served uh, in World War II, and he, he went to the, to the service before Pearl Harbor. He, he actually joined before Pearl Harbor, and I think part of that is he saw um, a need to go fight. He, he knew that war was going to happen. I mean, it was, right. it was inevitable. Uh, he also was in junior ROTC for his whole years in high school. He had a, a love for the, for the military uh, way of doing things, and he actually learned to shoot a rifle at Knoxville High School. They, oh. had, they had a firing range on the top floor. Yeah. Believe it or not, I mean, how would that go over in schools today? Yeah. In the
0: building. In yeah. the building, yeah. <laughs> what does that sound? Oh, they're shooting guns upstairs. Yeah. So,
1: uh, so when he went into the Army as a private, he just uh, he excelled, and he became a master sergeant in um, really in, in a little over – a little less than two years he became a master sergeant from a private
0: now how old was he when he first uh, went in
1: he was uh, 20 20 and then he by the time he was 22 he was a master sergeant wow and of course pearl harbor <laughs> happened yeah and they were they were fast tracking people that that they identified with some leadership skills you know up up the food chain so to speak the chain of command i guess it was his captain at the time Told him when he when he made that rank that at that time he was the youngest master sergeant in in the army. Wow! But from that um, he goes off to war and and basically his story has become my story. It's been unbelievable. It really began with an old diary.
0: Um, let me that ask he you, kept. Let me ask you this. Now I'm assuming, of course, he probably uh, when did he get married after he got back from?
1: He actually went. He served in the in the U.S. Army. Uh, uh, from 1941 to 1945, he was discharged in, in late October of 45. And in that experience, he you know he experienced the Battle of the Bulge and becoming a prisoner of war. And then he came back to Knoxville. He went to work, uh, really, at the Oak Ridge National Lab. And then he was he stayed in the guard and and he was called back up to Korea in 1950. And he served overseas for a year. But he actually served in the army another three years, so he, he got out in 1953. And um, in the meantime of being back in Knoxville between World War II and, and the Korean War, he he had met my mom. Mm-hmm. While he was a prisoner of war in in Germany, he had asked uh, the Lord to save he and all his men, so you know make sure we get out of this. And, yeah. and so he was a man of prayer. He actually had a Bible in the camp, and all the all the prisoners used it. The Jewish guys used it. The Catholic guys used it. The Protestant guys used it. I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff until, you know, just recently. Yeah. So he was a man of faith there in the camp. And uh, he was in charge of the American forces in that camp, particularly, too. So, but he prayed. He said, Lord, if you'll, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do, you know, if you get us out of this mess. And he felt the Lord calling him to sing. And he'd never sung in front of people before. When he came back, that's what he started doing. Uh, just singing at churches, singing at revivals. He yeah. he would go sing with uh, my great uncle down here at the Knoxville Mission. They yeah. would sing on the street corners. I mean, he, huh. uh, my uncle would preach; he'd sing. You know, so he just wanted to serve the Lord, and um, he ended up meeting my mom because uh, his piano player—I mean, she was my grandmother. You know, so she was playing the piano for him, and her her daughter, my mom Mary was a teenager when he first met her, and then when he came back from the Korean War, she'd grown up to be a woman. And he was
0: like, <laughs> there were sparks. Let's put right. it that way,
1: and 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 that's why I'm here, and uh, why my well, brother's here. But now,
0: how old were you? Now, are you uh, are you the youngest? I'm the youngest. I was born in 1957. So so, how old was he when you were born? Um, he was 39. 39. Okay, he was the old
1: guy. Yeah. You know we'd go to school functions and stuff and he was very supportive he was my my baseball coach uh you know all all the way through he and my uncle were our coaches and he loved baseball and so you know he taught me how to slide and throw the baseball and you right. know get my body in front of all that kind of good stuff yeah. and lay down a bunt but so, even though he was an, it was definitely he was an older dad mm-hmm. when when you'd show up, and my mom was sixteen years younger than him, oh, which yeah. was a whole other story <laughs> but um, but he he was still fully involved in our lives, and of course, the uh, mom and dad took us to church and we were involved in church you know we were we were the kids that were at church all the time, but he didn't force God down our throats, he just lived God in front of us, and so it was very evident that God was real
0: now now the book did he talk about this no never never talked about
1: and i would, as a college kid you know i was in college uh when he was in his 60s i guess and he he actually died at age 65 very young man and the doctor at the time had said uh, it was some of the contributing factors was was his starvation uh in the pow camp but before he passed away i'd I'd ask him you know uh, he's sitting there in his rocking chair and i would just say dad you know I've, i've read your diary the one you kept in, in World War II. But it, there's some narrative in there. It's very clear what happened. And there's other just kind of mental markers, you know, little short phrases, sort of like footnotes. And I don't really understand what they mean. You know, like you, you got dogs. You've got, you know, Jewish friends moved out. Uh, you got you got things like that, but I don't understand the context. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, the only thing he ever would tell me, he said, son, we were, we were humiliated. And uh, he said, I'm just grateful God protected us and got us out of there. But he never shared anything uh, of specifics about it, and so he died in eighty-five. Of course, he brought those diary that diary back, and he stuck it in his his dresser drawer and never pulled it out. Never talked about it. Never showed it to anybody. So it lay in that drawer for a number of years, um, and I'd almost forgotten about it because life carries us on down a,
0: down the stream. Was that a common practice for, I guess, soldiers to carry some sort of diary documenting all they did? Or was that something a part of him? Did he document stuff, his life afterwards? or what, I, It was very specific
1: to the war, yeah. to World War II, because he doesn't have a diary for Korea, the Korean War. But I, in my research, I've discovered that the Red Cross, uh, for a lot of the American boys, when they c- would come to England, they would issue these these little pamphlet-like journals. And they were obviously empty. You can go and study and see now a lot of the World War II veterans, particularly in Europe, kept diaries. Uh, Several of the men that I uh, spoke to personally who were in the camp with Dad and men he saved uh, showed me their personal diaries and um, gave me copies. You know, I was able to take pictures of of their diaries. Many of those diaries, uh, because they were starving, food Mm -hmm. was the, the topic of the day and the topic of the hour and so um and there's one POW i uh, have his diary a copy of his diary and i'd say 90 to 95% of the diary is just list of food really yeah and and so a lot of these guys were were eating off an imaginary menu dad actually he and and three others POWs and and these are dad's drawings but they they developed and designed an entire restaurant called the Jolly Chef restaurant and so they got storefronts they've got the the layout of the restaurant they they had stacked hands. they're going to start a restaurant when they get out of right. the prison camp so that gave them hope sure and then it became the rage of the camp everybody wanted to know about this restaurant that they are what are you going to serve how are you going to serve <laughs> it you know who's going to cook you know and, all. Yeah. and one of the guys on the team uh, you know in that mix uh, had been a chef um his parents owned a restaurant and he he'd grown up in that environment he actually could cook and so in the camp to sometimes to alleviate boredom and also to give them a sense of of expectancy of rescue they would talk about back home and and the one topic they wanted to hear about was food so the cook who they hated before they were captured became the hero in the camp. You oh, know that's it's funny. like we want we want to talk to the cook. <laughs> and so you might have fifty guys gather around the cook as he's telling about, well, I put a little dash of this and a little <laughs> dash, of, you know, that
0: yeah. because
1: all they had to eat was was this horrible uh, bread that was mostly sawdust. They would get one one little sliver of that a day, and a lot of times they would have to break, you know, like be six or eight men to a loaf, and they were small loaves, and so they'd have to, they had a system sometimes, a lot of these guys had a system of how they would break that bread down. And uh, and then they got a little bit of um, a watery based, they called it soup, but, you know, if, if it had a potato floating in it, a little piece of potato, then they, they counted themselves rich. And so most of the men were surviving off of 400 to 500 calories a day, and most of them lost uh, nearly 80 pounds Mm. during that. And and doctors had had, uh, looked at that situation and said had they stayed another 30 days, many of them would have died of, of starvation, extreme starvation. Wow. It was very, very difficult, and um, but the honor and the bravery and uh, the love for one another and, and coming together as one is what helped them survive that ordeal. And obviously, Dad's leadership helped tremendously, too. And that all goes back to his faith. He, he believed there is a God, uh, number one, and that God is a God of love, that God loves everyone, hmm. uh, that God created everyone. And because God loves us, we are to love one another. And so the the bottom line of, of of Jesus' message is, you know, love one another. And so he he not only talked about that, he lived that. One of the the greatest blessings I've had in meeting these men, all in their nineties, who were in the camp with Dad, who who he these are Jewish men who Dad saved. That they all the first thing they want to tell me is is about my father's faith. And this is. 70 years after the fact that they remember that that they remember that and talk about their love for him uh and 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 what a what a blessing he's been to them and their families you know he he ultimately saved the entire camp nearly 1200 uh well nearly 1300 soldiers i think there were 1292 men who survived that ordeal wow americans and ultimately dad saved them all by refusing to uh to follow the German orders to, to march out on a death march toward the end of the war. Uh, it's a long story, but it's a powerful story uh, of his leadership and, and their followship. You know, they followed him. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. When he saved the Jewish men, they had only been in the camp for a day and a half. This was the second camp they'd been in. The first camp that they were in was kind of a holding camp for thousands of Allied soldiers who had been captured. So in that in that mixture, you had officers, you had non-commissioned officers, and you had privates. They were all slugged in together, and it was a very confusing time. They were there for about 30 days. It was in uh, Camp 9B Bad Orb, which was the um, the worst. Uh, ultimately, after after historians look, it was the worst prisoner of war camp for soldiers in Germany. And uh, so they were there 30 days, and um, the Jewish men were segregated during that time. They they made all the Jewish men that they could identify as Jews. Uh, they took them out of, of the rank and file. Uh, American soldiers and they placed them in a prison within the prison. It's separate quarters. And 30 days into that experience, they took all the non-commissioned officers, which was dad, and, and even the men, non-commissioned men who were in that Jewish prison, they took all of them out and sent them to the second camp. But the Jewish men who were left behind were sent to Berga, which was basically a death camp. Uh, they worked them till they could work no more. And most of those men who were left behind because they weren't non-commissioned officers mm-hmm. uh, died in Berga. Um, the second day they're at this second camp, uh, for the first time, Dad is in charge of the American boys in that camp. He's the highest-ranking American soldier.
0: And he's at what age, right? At that point, he's 24. 20. 24. 24 wow. years old.
1: But Le- Lester Tanner is, the, is one of the POWs, uh, prominent lawyer in, in New York City. He's, he's 97 now. Still alive and well, doing uh, doing great. She's become a dear friend. But uh, he told me, he said, uh, we called your father the old man. And I said, the old man? Why? Why did you call him? He said, well, he had to be 32, 33 years old. <laughs> you know, the way he acted, the demeanor that he had. Right. And, you know, he he was from the old guard. You know, he was, <laughs> he was in the Army before Pearl Harbor. And so, you know, Master Sergeant. I said, Lester, he was five years older than you. And Lester almost fell out of his chair. I wow. said, there's no way. <laughs> I said, yeah, you were 19, right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, Dad was 24. He couldn't believe it. He said, he didn't act like a 24 <laughs> He said, we acted 19, but he didn't act 24. Yeah. So it, it's pretty amazing. But the night, uh, so it's January 26th of, of 1945. They'd been in the camp for a day and a half. I won't tell you the intimidating trauma that they experienced when they first marched into the camp, but the Germans basically let them know in, in, in a very cruel and violent way that if um, they disobeyed orders, uh, they would be killed and and not killed in a nice way. So um, they get orders. Dad gets orders uh, issued to him, and they announce it over the American loudspeakers that on the following morning when they're all supposed to fall out and be counted, which they did that every morning, they wanted just the Jewish men, no one else. And anyone who disobeyed those orders would be shot. And um, dad immediately turned to the men in his barracks. There's about 250 guys in, in his barracks. And he said, men, we're not doing that. Tomorrow morning, we're all falling out, just like we always do. And he said, I want you to send orders to the other barracks and tell them we've got to stay together. And, and, and we're all falling out. We're not doing that. So that next morning, that's what they did. I can't imagine guys got a whole lot of sleep that night, you know, and and of course they're in horrible conditions and no heat in the barracks anyway, but uh, it had to be a fitful night and any one of those guys could have chosen not to go out there, but they did, they all went. And then uh, later on when the threat occurred, any one of those guys could have not stood together and they could have been pointing out the Jewish men because they all knew who the Jewish guys were. So the major, uh, the major comes in who issued the orders. He's um, he's from high command and he arrives. He arrived uh, that evening when they made the announcement. And so he he comes out of his barracks that morning and uh, he can't believe his eyes. All the Americans, nearly 1,300 soldiers, are standing in sharp formation, and he's he's irate. So he storms over to my father, and uh, he gets up into his face, and he said, they can't all be Jews, and he speaks really good English. This guy does. Dad said, Major, we are all Jews here. Well, that infuriates <laughs> the Major. You got to understand, this guy, his name's Major Ziegman. In my research, uh, we, we found out that he... He reported to General Yodel, directly to General Yodel, who reported directly to Hitler. So he's one person wow. removed from Hitler. His ultimate responsibility was he was in charge of all the POW camps and all of the German network. And he was also in charge of, of identifying Jewish Americans in those camps and Jewish people of, of every nationality and pulling them out and sending them to these death camps, basically. And ultimately, he had been at that first camp. When they first segregated the Jewish men over there, mm-hmm. they recognized him from that first camp. So dad looked at him and said, all that's required is name, rank, and serial number by the Geneva Convention, and that's all you'll get. And uh, the major screamed at him again. He said, I want the Jews. I Just just the Jews. You're going to have the Jews step forward. And dad said, again, he leaned in and looked at him I made eye contact. He says, major, name, rank, serial number. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, the major would have none of that. He pulled out his luger. He pressed it into my father's forehead, and he said, sergeant. You have one last chance. You will order the Jews to step forward or I will shoot you right now. And um, Lester, I mean, just to see the raw emotion on his face when he's telling me that story for the first time, I said, Lester, where were you when this occurred? He said, I was standing on your father's left. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, it seemed like time froze. He said, your father was so brave. He said, I looked at your father and said, your father was calm. He looked confident. He didn't look afraid. And said, he was just staring at, at the major and said, I had no idea what was going to happen. And, and he said, but your father was so brave that it made us brave. And, and I, I became brave. He said, not long after that, your father spoke. And said he said, again, he said he leaned in to make sure he made eye contact with the major. The gun still stuck to his head. and <laughs> he, he said, Major, you can shoot me, but you'll have to kill all of us because we know who you are <laughs> and you'll stand for war crimes yeah. when we win this war i love that part when we win this war <laughs> and then he added this and you will pay lester said i couldn't believe those words came out of your father's mouth and said he didn't he didn't say them afraid he said them with confidence and said he said you know your father's big booming baritone voice he said he had a sergeant's voice and said that's what he used and uh, he said immediately the major turned white, and his arm began to shake, Wow! holding the gun. He said, I don't know if he saw something or if, if He said, obviously, the truth of what your father said rattled him. He said, I don't think anyone had ever stood up to this guy. He said, you know, so uh, the major standing. He said, it seemed like forever that that gun was aimed at your dad's forehead. And the Major didn't move. Your dad didn't move. We didn't move. We didn't move a muscle. He said, and then suddenly, without warning... The major pulled the pistol down to his side, stuck Hmm. it in his holster, didn't say a word, and marched back to his quarters. And he said, and we never he never came back to ask for the Jewish man again. He said, uh, I I said, so what did you do then? He goes, we really cheered your father. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I said, I guess you did. He goes, and what we knew at that point was we had a leader. And he said, whatever your father told us to do from that point on is what we did. Wow.
0: You know, and all can think about while you tell that story, what was God doing there? Yeah, it, it also actually gives kind of gives you yeah, chill bumps. It does. You know, God was working. Yes. What was what was He doing to the heart of that? You know, yeah. uh, that soldier that was that that, that
1: the Nazi. I don't. I tell you, um, you know, we don't know. We weren't there, and we could never know. But we live in a spiritual world. You know, the spirit world is is more real than this physical world that we live in. And I don't know if the Lord kind of peeled back the curtains of eternity a little bit and let him see an angel or two, or yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what, but I do know this. Uh, Martin Luther King said, love and truth will win the day. So my father, in the craziest of ways, was loving that Nazi soldier by telling him the truth, because he, he's basically saying, Major, you don't want to do this, because you will pay for this. You will be found out. You will face the consequences. And that's what real love does. Real love doesn't leave you in your troubles and your sorrows and your sin and, and in your bad decisions. Real love comes and reaches in and tells you the truth about that and tries to pull you out of it. And then he told him the truth. This major knew that the, the Germans were, were a lost cause. Their, their cause was lost. Even though he was still marching to to the beat of Hitler, he knew the reality. And so um, Dad had this innate gift that I think God gave him to almost instantly read people you know and that is a, a real gift for folks to have and and so that helped him be a a leader uh, to his men in the army all the all these POWs that I've met with said that your dad wasn't a um Said he was a real sergeant. He really expected a lot out of us, uh, but he was he was always willing to go the extra mile and do what we did. He wasn't one that just told us what to do. And said and he, and he wasn't mean. Well, I'm I'm not going to use some of the verbiage they said, yeah, yeah. but they said he he earned our respect. And said he immediately earned our respect in that camp. You know the the 1292 men who survived that ordeal. Dad wasn't their master sergeant. I mean, there was a, a handful of guys from his unit there who knew him and had, had had experienced his leadership. But most of those men, it was a mixed bag from the 28th Division, the 423rd, 424th, and Dad was in the 422nd. So it was a mixed bag of, of soldiers from all over the place. He, he won them over, and um, they had a, a, a really strong, and this gives credit to the Army, uh, even in the midst of those POW camps, particularly in dad's camp, uh, they still followed army order and command. And that that helped them have some structure. Even though they were emaciated and, and dying by the minute, they still maintained their dignity. That's what dad helped bring to that camp is to bring their humanity and dignity to all that they did. So they, they had uh, what was known in the camp as up guys and down guys. Well, yeah. the up guys wanted to live. And so the up guys would get up. They'd try to shave Mm they try to they wash their clothes every now and then they didn't they didn't have any soap but they'd at least rinse them out and freeze to death doing it and all that so they tried to maintain their dignity and then they had the down guys that just wanted to give up and quit and and a lot of those guys were ready to die and some of them were very close to death because they'd just given up and so dad asked the up guys to pick a down guy to be their partner And those up guys were responsible for getting the down guys out of bed, making sure that they didn't give away their food for cigarettes. And, you know, they they took some kind of personal care from themselves. And and so they were really there to help those down guys survive this. And uh, many of them did because of that. But it also gave the up guys a, a purpose you know, I'm here for a reason. And so, so that helped a lot. They, he also, um, they, they sent guys out on work crews into the city that the guards would take them out, uh, do various different, uh, jobs in the city and even for the Nazi war machine and bring them back into camp at night. Those guys got a little extra food maybe, but not much. But dad, uh, dad was communications chief for his outfit. And so he was in charge of the radios and all the, you know, the equipment and everything and making sure they could communicate with one another. So he intentionally handpicked some guys and said, you know, if you're out there and you get a chance to steal this and this and this or pick up this or this and this, we this is what we need to build a radio. So they built a radio. And so the Germans would be lying to them about the war and they'd be listening to the BBC reports and hearing the truth about the war, which lifted their spirits sure. because the Allies were on the march. You know, they were coming closer and closer. And then they could hear the artillery uh, you know, as the Allies got closer, you know, the artillery sounds would get closer. And then uh, they first noticed these scout planes would come over. The little Piper cubs would come over and kind of scouting things out. Then they saw bombers coming over regularly, and then they, they even were strafed. Uh, a few men were killed because uh, Americans came in and, and strafed that camp. But the war was coming to them, and so they knew that liberation was close. So on, at the end of uh, of March... Uh, and the and the buzz in the camp was was alive and well that Patton was going to be there soon because because they knew the reports and stuff and anytime they wanted to agitate their their German guards yeah. they they made up a song yeah. about <laughs> about Patton and it was uh, to the battle hymn of the republic they yeah. sang it to the tune of the battle hymn yeah. of the republic and it was about Georgie Patton and and. They'd take the rifle butt or, or, or the slap in the head or, you know, even the occasional dog bite just, right. just to kind of get, get under the skin of the, of the Germans. So, so it was March 30th. The, the Germans and the guards there were very agitated. Uh, the war was very close. They could hear it almost at their doorsteps. And um, they had made an announcement to Dad the, the night before, just like they had in that earlier situation. And they said, uh, tomorrow, make, uh, make ready to leave the camp. We're marching all the POWs out and we're going to a different camp. Dad, once again, he, he told us and he said, we're, we're not going, we're not doing that. We're just too weak to go anywhere. And we don't know once we leave this camp, we're, we're safer in the camp than, than out. So, um, we're going to refuse to go. We're going to fall out as normal. And then all the guys that are sick, cause a lot of you guys are sick. I want the unsick guys to take the sick guys back to the barracks and tend to their needs. And then he said, uh, and if we have to, I even want the uh, the guys who aren't sick to get sick. You know, eat grass, dirt, vermin, whatever. Just I right. just want you to get sick. There uh, recently had been a doctor that um, had come into the to the camp. He was a, a captain, and he even made some kind of concoction to support the the revolt. Basically, they're going to throw a revolt. Some kind of a mixture that they could put in their mouth, and it looked like that they were foaming at the mouth. And so. That was their plan, and they went out the next morning, they executed it, and all day long, they would fall out, and then they'd go back, then they'd fall out, half of them would fall out, and, and, you know, so the Germans were really confused, but all at the same time, they're marching out the French, the British, the Russian, the Serbian POWs, who were in separate quadrants of the camp, Uh, they marched them all out. And the whole time, the Americans are refusing to go. And, of course, they, they uh, shoot the guns in the air. They threaten to kill them, uh, the dogs. They sick the dogs on them. And, you know, they do everything to try to intimidate the American soldiers. But at that point, they were so weak, and they just said, we're staying. And so Dad led that revolt. And at the end of the day, the, the German commandant came over to Dad, and he threw up his hands, and he says, okay, you win. He said, you can have the camp. Wow. We're leaving. And they left them alone in the camp. and i said lester how in the world he goes oh he said it's one of the greatest escapes in world war ii and we didn't go anywhere (laughs) i said that's incredible wow and he said it's all because of your dad's leadership he said we would have never had the forethought or even the desire to do that but your dad let us do that and um he said we won the day and uh he said it got quiet in the camp and uh we got a couple of guys get up on the roof of, of one of the, the buildings and and said way off in the distance, they could see the, the approach of, of the American forces. And mm-hmm. so they were excited. But then, you know, at that time, uh, the German forces were fleeing. And so dad told all the guys, he says, now, look, if, if any German soldiers come in here, we got to hide. And uh, so in his diary, he's got this one little tick mark and it says hiding. Well, that's what that meant. So a, a group of SS soldiers pulled into the camp. They were they were fleeing the the Allied forces, but they they pulled into the camp and and evidently they were hungry and they were looking for food. And um, Dad um, had had already prearranged and told the guys to hide, and so they did and stay quiet. And uh, they did, and fortunately, because those SS soldiers would have they would have taken as many of them out as they could. Fortunately, they weren't they weren't there all that long. I guess long enough to maybe find some food and um, and then left. And the next day, the next morning, I think it was. Big tank come busting through the the front gate uh, of the camp. And to their surprise, all they found were the American (laughs) field. That
0: is awesome. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. And and, and I don't want us to... I could sit and we could... Oh, We can talk all day. And I'd love this. This is is great. But they need to buy the book. If you're listening, you need to buy this book. Absolutely. Now, now before you tell me a little bit about uh, where they can find it, but tell me a little bit more about... Uh, the, the Rodney Code Rodney's code yeah yeah you, you have a, you're a founder of this. Mm-hmm. So what does this mean?
1: Well Rodney's code is an organization to extend Dad's legacy and, and tell his story the, the bottom line is to inspire heroes everywhere and to challenge folks from from students all the way to senior adults to live heroic. And what that means is so so Dad lived by a, a, a deep-seated spiritual and moral code he was the same before the army he was the same in the army in World War two and Korean War and he was the same after the army mm-hmm. he just lived by this this code and and the code you know and this this is all hindsight but this is this is accurate to who he was C stands for choose God and basically choose good you can't spell good without God and so uh, choose to, to do what's right uh, to do what's good for others mm-hmm. and and be a be an encouragement to those around you and and make life better basically that was dad's philosophy and then o is oppose evil you know the bible says to hate evil and cling to what is good for for evil to flourish good men and women need to do nothing but if you want to stop Mm -hmm. hatred and evil you got to step up and you got to be good and you got to do something about it and that's what dad did he did it in the worst possible situation none of us are going to have to stand up for what's right with a gun to our head But all of us are faced with choices every day to do what's right or do what's wrong. And so we need to be on the side of right. You know, in our country today, in our world, um, there's a dearth of righteousness. Everyone's um, standing for what they want, but not necessarily what's right for everybody. And then D uh, is dignify life. These guys love life. Dad loved life. One of the amazing things is these guys experienced the worst of life could give them in that POW camp. Uh, most of them never expected to survive that camp. One of one of the men, Skip Friedman, told me he says he said Chris, I died in that camp. I never expected to survive it. And he said when we were liberated, I was reborn. <laughs> <laughs> he said and so tell everybody you you talk to, the real thing and and the success in life is just life itself. It's the gift of life. He says it's not who you are, or how much money you make. It's the fact that you're alive and you can make a difference in others. He said, so dignify life. And, and Dad did that all the way through his life. And then the last thing is express esteem to everyone. You know, esteem others better than yourself. And, you know, that's the crux of, of the gospel. And 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 that's what God calls us to do, is to love others better than ourselves. So so Dad loved God. Um, he loved life. He loved others better than himself. So I've, I've really come down to... I really challenge people to, one, enjoy life. Uh, There's not a a more precious gift. Two, express love. That's why you're here. That's why all of us are here, is to to love others. And and really, the other reason we're here is to embrace God above. And, um, you know, Dad was uh, a vibrant Christian. And uh, I was asked by a, a Jewish, large Jewish newspaper in Jerusalem. They called me. Uh, one day and said can we do an interview with you and when we do it we'd like to do it on your father's faith and I said are not you a like a Jewish organization Jewish uh newspaper yes but we've we've looked high and low on your dad's story and we've not seen much on his faith and and we're interested we want to know about his faith so I did I did that and it was an incredible article but at the end of, of the interview he's the gentleman Jewish gentleman said so um why do you think your dad did what he did what do you think he would say I said well Dad would say, you know, um, hey, I was just doing my job. I I, I protected my men. I I resisted the enemy. Um, I honored my country, and um, I honored my God. I was just doing my job. Nothing special. Just what I'm supposed to do. I said, but what he did was extraordinary, and I, I, I really do believe I know why he did it. I think Dad would ultimately say that he saved Jewish men because a Jewish man named Jesus Christ saved his life. Redeemed him from his inhumanity. And, uh, I said, if dad had not been redeemed, he probably would have let those Jewish guys go. I said, but because God had, had taken him, cleaned him up, redeemed him and given him a, a, a new life, a new heart, a new direction. He was going to do what, what God required of him. And that's to love others. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so, um, he was the true living example of who we are to be for Christ and, um, The reporter, he goes, that is so profound. He said, that's amazing. He said, I I can't wait to write that. I said, well, that's the bottom line of who dad was. And I I went on to, not to tell him, but I went on to think about that. And so now I share uh, most everywhere I can, uh, and particularly with Christian groups. And this is going to sound a little strange, but I sort of feel sorry in some sense of the word for that Nazi major. He had no idea who he was dealing with. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Because you can't kill a dead man. Dad was dead to himself, and he was alive to Christ. And um, he knew he knew Christ had uh, his future well in his hands, and uh, he would be taken well care of um, uh, in eternity. And um, he was going to do what was right, even mm-hmm. if it cost him his life. And um, so that, that major didn't stand a chance. And I, I hope to someday be able to meet that major's family. You know, that's kind of on my bucket list is I'd like to meet his descendants, and uh, to hear about him even after the war and and see where they're at and be able to share uh, the incredible. You know, he made a choice, too, and he made the right choice. Uh, He made an honorable choice. He he could have done what a lot of the Nazis did. He could have just shot my dad and started shooting other people, but he didn't. He made the correct, proper, moral choice. Uh, He he also, unbelievably, in that moment, he, he honored God as well honored life and so I'd like to meet his family
0: hopefully one day you'll be able to do that that, mm-hmm. that, that will be a, another addition to your your book well,
1: might, might be another book and maybe it may be
0: now let's uh, go ahead and tell us where we can find this because uh, people will need okay. to read this where can we find it
1: well you can go on uh, any of the booksellers Amazon Barnes & Noble they all have it it's also in a young readers edition 9 to, to 14 years, years old Okay. It's also on Audible, hmm. uh, so you can. A lot of folks, I like to listen to books, sure. so so it's on Audible. It's also available in CD form, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, they don't do that much anymore, and so you can go to Amazon. Amazon's one of the better places, but uh, again, Barnes and Noble, any any of your Christian bookstores, and and then I have a um, a website called No SurrenderBook dot com that you can learn more about the book. Okay. Uh, there's pictures, a bunch of pictures on there that are related to dad and his men. Mm-hmm. Some are from world war II era and some are for, for today. So you can see these men currently, you can see their families. And then there's also a reader's guide that mm. you can download on that. So yeah. it's nosurrenderbook.com. And so we're just, we're excited. We, we've done two documentaries as well. One of those documentaries is available on Vimeo and it's uh, following the footsteps of my father. You just, Go on Vimeo and tap that in. It's about a 14-minute documentary, and uh, we use that in schools. Uh, Teachers all across the country and across the world are using that to teach the Holocaust. There's a teacher's guide that goes with it. And then the Jewish Foundation for the Righteous, great organization. It's a Jewish organization who are so grateful to those who stood up for the Jews during the Holocaust, the Righteous People, mm. uh, which Dad is the only the fifth American to mm. be uh, recognized as righteous among the nations by the nation of Israel. It's wow. their highest honor. Wow. He's also um, the first uh, U.S. soldier to receive that recognition, and um, he's the first of the righteous to save American Jews. Um, and I always like to say he's, he's the first Tennessean, because yeah. that's pretty cool, too. That's but, right. Um He's being considered for a gold medal by the United States yeah. uh, Congress, and then also he's been recommended for a Medal of Honor. So we're hoping that he'll get some recognition here in the States. But it's a pretty amazing journey that I've been on, but what's more amazing is the story of, of a humble Christian soldier doing what's right in the most evil conditions. And if he can do it, we can too.
0: Well, Chris, I really appreciate you coming. It it is a privilege that you've allowed me to sit down with you and uh, just to hear about your dad. I'm grateful that I can hear about how you're able to be able to use this to be able to share uh, Christ with with the world. Oh, yeah. If you are listening to us on uh, iTunes right now, uh, if you will, please leave a comment with us. And uh, tell us what you think, and maybe follow us, too. Even if you have a question uh, for Chris or what we do at TN Baptist Camps, please send us an email at ccinfo at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you'll look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know.
1: Thanks for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast production of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. This and other episodes can be downloaded from tnbaptistcamps.org. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org.